It's my pleasure to greet you on this a new series of our podcast. My name is Denis Andrushenko. I'm from Ukraine. I'm usually a host of the Exchange Me podcast, uh, where we talk to alumni of uh, exchange programs from different countries. Uh, but we decided to make a spin-off of this program and to talk about context of Ukraine. Uh, as you may know, there is a war, ongoing war in Ukraine because of Russian invasion. And because of all these atrocities, we don't want that to repeat anywhere else. So we launched Global Response. We want to talk with people from around the world uh, to listen to their uh, understanding of the situation and their uh, how they perceive Ukraine and also learn from them. So um, I'm welcoming here Hassan Obayed. Hassan uh, is a software engineer specialized in fintech. By the way, we met with Hassan, I think, eight years ago. I was reaching out uh, to people on the network from different exchange programs and invited him to participate in, in my startup. I didn't know how to do that, but we had fun. We learned together. And yeah, Hassan uh, is a fellow of the Study of U.S. Institute or SUSE uh, program from the U.S. Department of State. Uh, he visited states in 2012 and he works towards achieving an inclusive society in accordance with SDG goals. Also uh, today with us is his colleague Ratul Dev and Ratul is a development professional by choice. He prior prioritizes sustainable and inclusive objectives. So again, SDGs, our favorite subject. Ratul participated uh, in Japan East Asian Network of Exchange for Students and Youth. And he's also a, a participant of the professional fellowship, uh, also from the US Department of State. He participated in the global SDG talent by Unleash uh, in Denmark. It's wonderful because I will I already instantly making connections uh, with Ukrainian alumni who participated in Unleash. And one of the objectives of this show is also to connect uh, talents from across the globe and uh, across different programs. Also, we have Yaroslava Fatyuha. Uh, she's also Ukrainian from Zaporizhia. Uh, unfortunately, Zaporizhia is so close to the front line and uh, Yaroslava made the wise choice uh, to go abroad. Yaroslava, where are you currently now? Uh, I'm currently staying in Germany, Karen. And she's a president of Rotaract Zaporizhia, Rotaract Club, uh, which is part of Rotary International. She's doing a fantastic job uh, in talking about Ukraine, uh, asking for help, humanitarian help, and she is really active in this uh, Rotarian movement. But I don't want to speak a lot. Uh, I will just uh, briefly introduce uh, myself. I'm also um, a member of Rotary. I'm a president-elect for Rotary Club Cherkasy Center. I'm from central Ukraine, Cherkasy. And I'm also doing a leaders fund. We give stipends to activists uh, in Ukraine and we also focus on SDG framework. So we want our economy to be inclusive we want our economy to be more social and impact-driven. But more about that later, I want to welcome uh, Hassan and Ratul and just to know how they are doing. Thank you, uh, Dan, uh, for introducing me. Uh, it was a long, long time ago when we met uh, and we had really uh, fun run. Uh, though we failed, but it was really fun. We have learned a lot, I think. Uh, so 
uh, and uh, we're doing uh, really well. And we know that the situation, uh, the world worldwide pandemic has gone a few days ago and we are still in pandemic. I will not say that it is over. Uh, in some countries, still lockdown is happening and still some people are uh, going through, you know, COVID situation. So that's one of the aspect of the world now. And we are trying to live with COVID in everywhere and in Bangladesh, in our country too. Um, and also due to the war in Russia and Ukraine, we know you are facing the hit in the front line. We are facing the hit in the back line with the economic activities and other things. And I think that the whole world is facing that same situation. Uh, so we, I hope that today we will have a nice fruitful discussion so that uh, we can learn from the situation and can avoid such things in the future. Thank you, Hassan. A few words from you, Ratul. Thank you, Dennis, for having me. It's always a pleasure to meet exchange alumni, youth states alumni from all over the world. Whenever I meet, it excites me. But it's sad that the, the, the topic or the reason uh, we are here today is I wouldn't mark it as a Russia-Ukraine war. I would rather say it's an invasion and aggression on humanity from Russia on Ukraine. Uh, uh, that, that's, that's how I see it. Where I work, I work for uh, Gen Lab. It's a youth-led social enterprise. And uh, one of our core, uh, core philosophy and working area is tolerance and harmony, building peace within religion, within different group or community, uh, and establishing establishing the inclusivity in the society. And uh, when we say this, these are big words. These are all big words uh, with big targets, but these are uh, very tough to achieve. And who have expected or even thought of that in 2022, this sort of a thing would happen from a modern day country like Russia. And that too, even immediately after uh, the COVID, people were like still into what to do about the economy and how the world would run. And they have, Actually, I would say from the war mongering perspective, this is this was the more strategic best time for, for them to do it. And that, that means they have thought about it. They have uh, planned about it for a long time. And yet the world had nothing to do to stop them. That's what strikes me most. So we were just uh, making big wars and big wars in the United Nations. But at the end of the day, this just happened. And now uh, we are talking about humanitarian things and all, but this is actually saddening. But as Shojib uh, Hassan said, that uh, yet we will have something to learn what to do in future. And maybe we're in, in deep uh, trauma at the moment. My heart goes for the friends in Ukraine uh, because from here we can also say many things, but in reality, they are the people who know how a war feels, how a war is devastating. Yes, and um, I would like to hear a few words from Miroslava before we uh, direct our conversation into very specific uh, questions, because our audience is indeed interested in the global context and global response to this crisis. Miroslava, tell us a little bit more about your work at the moment. Yeah, thank you, Dennis. Uh, I started my work actually at the beginning of this war. I started by texting different road tracks and rotary clubs, informing about what's going on in Ukraine. Um, I had multiple Zoom calls with German uh, rotary and road track clubs. 
please accept our apologies because at that moment we couldn't really hear uh, Yaroslava. So I had to paraphrase what she said. But Yaroslava said that uh, she has started with a project called Letters from Ukraine. So she's been telling uh, stories of Ukrainians who escaped the war, uh, who have been in different situations. And it's really powerful because people want to hear stories. They uh, don't care about numbers, especially for people who are really far away. It's hard to relate. You know, it's it's a war somewhere else. Um, but human factor, and we will talk about it a lot, I hope, uh, during our conversation. Um, but another uh, thing that I wanted to highlight and ask uh, Hassan about is the uh, ripple effects, and to put it in words of uh, one academic, seism seismic waves of, of this war on, on the globe. Uh, for example, we already uh, witness um, shortage of uh, grain in some countries, uh, the increasing cost of fertilizers in Africa. So Hassan, could you please tell us more about effects of Russian war in Ukraine in Bangladesh? So. It is not different than all other countries are facing. It is quite similar to that. Uh, but you have to understand that for small countries like us who import a lot of things from outside and who has a lot of population, you know, a number of population we have are huge. You know, we are, uh, so that's, that's another thing. Uh, we have to feed a lot of people. And that is one of the main reasons we have to import grains, especially wheat. We do not produce it here that much. So we are dependent on mainly on India for uh, you know, import of which also some from Russia and Ukraine, but they're a secondary market to us since India is very near to us. But the problem now is due to the war, the world demand of the wheat has increased uh, since Russia and Ukraine cannot export them. So now India is exporting them to other markets. So that price has also risen. Due to the COVID situation, the whole supply chain of the global in global scale was catastrophic. And that is already uh, that is going on, and on top of that, we now have a war situation and invasion from Russia to the Ukraine. So that created more supply chain problem, and that also increased prices of all normal commodities. And whatever you import now is like import is costly, time consuming, and another wheat production uh, fatality has happened. Like in India, they have just declared that they will not export that much wheat this year because of heat wave in India, which will reduce their wheat production. So that will also hamper the global because they are the second largest wheat producer in the world, India. And so these all things, you know, accumulating will, uh, is creating a problem. And in future hunger, maybe will be increased in Africa and South Asia or some, um, you know, underdeveloped and developing nations. So if the Russia and Ukraine war, you know, going, goes on for a long time, uh, maybe for around another, three or four months, hope that it doesn't. But if it does, I think that world may see, you know, even uh, famine in some of the reasons, which will be catastrophic. And it links us to this question of uh, humanity, really, uh, because when we, uh, Vera especially, uh, initiated this campaign to uh, talk to members of different uh, communities, uh, alumni of different programs, we figured that some people well, they were compassionate, but they didn't know whether they need to, to, to act and if to act in which way. They didn't understand. Uh, well, it's Ukraine problem or European problem, by the way. We also heard this uh, narrative that 
you know, it's somewhere in Europe, but when something happens, let's say in Africa, nobody really cares. And then when we uh, showed the uh, long chain of events, like this event is global in nature. So I wanted to really link uh, this to, to humanity and how GenLab um, takes this holistic approach, you know, sees it's wider. So Ratul, if you could comment on that, please. Yeah. Uh, so what we do in GenLab, we try to uh, work on building peace and harmony in society. And when we started working in some rural areas of Bangladesh and in the urban area, but then we realized that peace or tolerance in this vast global situation when we are all connected to internet and everything, it's no longer a thing that is actually only a household or a local neighborhood problem. These, these are all actually globally connected. What happens in Afghanistan or in Ukraine, people all over the world, it actually affects their mind, their thinking process. And that reflects in sometimes social media, reflects in by harming the neighbor who is from another religion or from another country. Uh, so it, there is no way that we can ignore what is happening in Europe. And uh, not only because of economic reason, but also, yeah, it, it's, it's a strong aggression on humanity. So uh, from GenLab, we, since it's a very non-political organization, we cannot directly uh, actually go against any country or portray anything for, for or against it. However, in our deep-rooted philosophy and how we design our projects and work, we are always uh, a kind of a pro-humanitarian or a tolerance base in societal organization. From that point of view, we have already uh, started working on, on, we are internally planning to do something for the people of Ukraine and Sri Lanka because uh, only the Europeans or the Ukrainians cannot raise the voice at this point. Rather, the, all of people all over the world needs to come forward and make sure that our voice, the voice of youth, go to the people who are so-called world leaders. And at the end of the day, we don't need war. Wars are decided by, by some uh, leaders who, who have little or no connection with the people in the mass. But mass people in the ground, they're the one who gets killed or kills someone else. So this needs to stop. And uh, in social media, I think social media is a big, uh, big platform in today's world to spread the news. And I think uh, in very soon, Shojib and I was already discussing that we are working, we'll be working on Sri Lankan issue and also on Ukrainian issue. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about Sri Lanka, by the way, because we can unpack here the whole regional uh, conflict that people in Ukraine probably don't have time to think about. I, I think this, uh, when people, we see that uh, why Ukraine and Sri Lanka should not be compared. That's from my personal point, it's wrong because Sri Lankan problem now, what we see is economical. But this economical problem is actually a, a production of the war they had like few years ago, a, a war in, inside of their country, which were somehow sometime uh, uh, supported by their neighbors or military uh, uh, militants or terrorist groups. So Sri Lanka faced uh, a civil war for a long, long time. And after the civil war, this is what it has come, came to that they are facing the economic crisis, like the worst economic crisis after their independence. 
And their president just said, quoted like two days back, they have only one or two days of uh, 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 petroleum left to run the country. They, after that, they will not have any, and they do not have enough money to purchase that. So I, I talked with friends from Sri Lanka. I met with someone in India a few days back. So they just tell me, Rathul, we don't have electricity because we don't have enough energy to run the, uh, run, run, run the power, power station. So all these actually was a byproduct of the civil war they had. And after the civil war, their political system actually collapsed. They had an authoritarian uh, presidency and the party. And after that, the third stage was the worst. I had this question because I discussed it with uh, Hassan previously. If we can compare the uh, war Russia against West, like India against China, can we even compare that? And what can the war in Ukraine teach us about potential conflicts that we don't want to happen, but have to be cautious about? So as everyone knows that in uh, Russian invasion to Ukraine, uh, India and China both played somewhat, uh, though they are saying they're neutral, but somewhat they're pro-Russia. Their stance uh, in UN and other uh, sectors seeing they are like quite similar in their situation about that, in the stance we see. But if you go deep inside their internal relationship, you will see that India and China is quite like what we have, like, you know, the clash you have in uh, NATO versus Russia in Europe, you have that kind of relation they have here in India and China. You know, they both are big countries and they are like in constant combat like situation for a long, long time. And, uh, and they have, you know, border issues. They have, you know, potential economic issues. Like since uh, India wants to be a big major player in Asia, China also. So it has that impact also. And there is another reason he bought, which is uh, in China, which is inside China and India supported it. And that's why Chinese people doesn't trust India. So there is a, you know, always a potential conflict there. And I will say that anytime these two countries can break into war. And another potential thing is like that, say for example, like if we take China as a NATO, India as Russia, say for example, just for an example. And say for example, Bangladesh as a small country or Nepal or Bhutan or any small South Asian country is just like Ukraine, you know? So say for example, there are uh, Indian and US and Japan allied military positions, just like NATO. And also there are Chinese based, you know, Chinese, China, Pakistan, and, you know, uh, Russia, that kind of countries allied with another, you know, military uh, alliance. So if say, for example, Bangladesh or Nepal thinks or somehow joins in any of that, they may even think about that. It may potentially create the problem which has been created in Ukraine. So that's one of the reasons we have to learn from, like how we can balance the relationship between two potentially super, you know, somehow more powerful nations around you, militarily or economically, or even bigger nations. Unlike Ukraine, uh, such a big country, you can be safe somewhere. Uh, compared to India and China, the other South Asian nations are such small, so small that uh, it, you know, it will be very difficult to anywhere to be safe in this country. And uh, it is true for not for Bangladesh, it is true for Nepal, it is true for Bhutan, it is true for Sri Lanka. Yeah. So I think somebody like, could compare that with uh, Moldova and the Baltics uh, because they were like the next uh, targets, they say, 
But we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about uh, context of Ukraine in Bangladesh. So my next question is, um, what is the perception of the war among uh, common citizens uh, in your country? It's a tricky question because uh, there, there is one perception that we see in, in our social media and in all the South Asian country, unlike uh, West or Europe. Uh, I know Twitter is famous there. Uh, Instagram is more famous there, uh, but here Facebook is like day to day thing in, in South Asia. If I count on that reflection, the comment or how people are reacting, how people are sharing about the about the war, that is one. And on the other hand, how the 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 experts or the pundits of war or political science, how they react. These are these are two different aspects. Actually. Uh, in general, when the war started, people were uh, against Russia and they started stop, started saying that this is an invasion and it should stop. But gradually, somehow, uh, that phenomenon is changing now. And somehow, people are, uh, most of the people, I would say, uh, Shojib, Shojib can correct if I'm wrong, but uh, like in general, mass people, uh, mass people, a good number of mass people are actually supporting Russia. And the reason is that it's not anything against Ukraine. It's rather... People somehow have an impression uh, uh, about United States as well, and that is not always positive. That that's that's one one thing. Um, that is that is that is one thing. So, and in in like people's perception, uh, one thing is common that nobody is encouraging the war. People want this to stop, and somehow they are seeing that this is uh, this is something that Russia had to do. They had no other way to stop uh, NATO nearing their border. So the way they say it is Russia had to do it, but Ukraine is just because Ukraine being the neighboring country, they became the victim. And if some other country was here, this would the same happen to them perhaps. So um, I don't know if I could, uh, I, I, I can give you a clear idea, but that's the mass uh, perception that I have, I have seen. But from the from the experts or people who who regularly work on political science or, and whatnot, from their perspective, this is clearly and from the government stance, like Bangladesh has changed their first vote, uh, the first vote they gave in United Nations General Assembly that was abstained, like voting for none, neither for Russia neither for Ukraine. But later on, Bangladesh as a government they voted for Ukraine and said this is a humanitarian crisis, and in our according to our constitution, we are always. By, by supporting uh, the people uh, of the country who are in need of uh, support during humanitarian crisis. So from the country or government perspective, we're definitely for uh, Ukraine at the moment. Thank you. Uh, it's important for us to understand the uh, situation yeah. there. Uh, we are also aware of uh, different narratives, especially from the Russian side. And the further you go from Europe, uh, the more opposite we he we hear, you know, from what is happening uh, here in in Europe. But again, this is why it it is a valuable uh, information. And I'm wondering if uh, my colleague Vera has any questions uh, on this. Thank you once more. Uh, for your brilliant thoughts, ideas, and contributions. A few words about myself. I'm from Mariupol city. I, I think that uh, you've heard about this city, Ukrainian city on the Sea of Azov. It's currently destroyed by Russians. And uh, I, I have uh, Greek roots. Uh, that I'm from uh, um, Greek community. 
but uh, definitely I, you, I'm Ukrainian. I feel myself, I, I identify myself as Ukrainian girl. Um, and from the perspective of, uh, of everything that we have already witnessed at the human beings, uh, everything that the Russians have done to Ukraine, uh, definitely I would agree with Denise that the main idea uh, for everything we have uh, tried to do, try to promote right now, it's about humanity. We need to focus our efforts, I mean youth, I mean uh, young leaders, we should focus on preventing such a situation in the future. Nobody wants to go into the war. And that's why for me it's obvious that we need to strengthen our efforts in order to prevent uh, any military conflict, any genocide, any war crimes uh, against humanity in the future. Thanks, Sigra. We... I, I would like to comment on that. Uh, first of all, to to say that I'm grateful for these connections. Again, uh, we, we've met with uh, Hassan uh, online via the network of uh, alumni of exchange programs, being from different exchange programs. Um, but also I'm willing to hear more from Hassan and Ratul on um, maybe unconventional uh, ways to reach uh, understanding, to reach peace. Uh, because we uh, in Europe, especially being inside of the conflict, we might have this narrow vision, this tunnel vision. We want to end the war. We see aggressor clearly, but people who are observers perhaps they have this uh, wider uh, picture. They have, uh, they can see further uh, behind the horizon. And I'm curious whether Ratul would like to, to comment on the ways to reach peace in the long run. You know, when the war happens, what's next? How can we restore peace globally? How can we not allow these atrocities to happen again? As I was talking about Sri Lanka, what happened, they, they faced the war a few years back. And from there, then a political catastrophe happened. And then the third stage was economic catastrophe. So when we talk about peace or tolerance, it, usually we think about war and not war. But peace is, a, is, is actually a huge term. Even like one story I can share very shortly. We arranged a photo competition, art competition, and a small girl drew some. We, we told them to do something that reflects your peace. Everyone, everyone there do something. They're happy, they're dancing. Uh, mosques, temples, churches united together. That's what they painted. Only one girl, she came up with a plate, uh, a table full with great uh, dishes, food. And I asked why so. She said, this is peace to me because I don't have enough food in my home. That actually touched me. So peace is something that has different definition to different people. So when we want to design peace or think about peace, we need to, uh, uh, we need to plan accordingly that it has a different aspect or different meaning to uh, everyone in a unique way. Uh, but in a global context, what Europe or Ukraine is facing now, I think in long run, uh, as the youth, we need to need to popularize the concept of tolerance a lot. Especially, I'm very alarmed with how social media works these days. Because in social media, I have seen uh, seen more and more hatred to spread rather than more and more peace to spread. You would say that someone sharing a video or a comment 
attacking another religion or another concept, it gets more view. And sometimes maybe the algorithm had to do with something. And we wanted a neutral algorithm. But I think uh, these are the places uh, which needs a little more regulation because it's, it, everything cannot be neutral. I'm sorry, because from, from the policy perspective, if you want to restore peace, if you want to make empathy, uh, empathy to empower the world, there must be policy, policy centric push to it as well. That's one from the government perspective. And United Nations, as we say, we clearly see that United Nations has failed, total failure. Because if if this was even like they had a little power to stop Russia, they could. They actually had no power. So it has failed. And the world system has failed. And it's, it's very unfortunate. We have no solution for Ukraine to support. But uh, let's say if we see in the bigger picture in the upcoming days, what we can do is build more and more like-minded people. But again, people have to change their thinking. And uh, while I agree with what you said, uh, it seems to be uh, a chicken and egg problem. You know, how to make people think towards finding common ground. And if they cannot find common ground, we, we don't have this conversation. And then uh, they do war instead of policies. Uh, in GenLab, basically, I uh, develop the programs, mostly design them. And sometimes, you know, set the strategy, how we can achieve these kind of things. So one of the main focus, I always see that uh, we have to understand why we are here now. That will, uh, you know, give the answers how we can proceed from here. So we have to look back first to look into the future. That's one of the main aspects always, I think, when I look at any problem, you know. So this is a problem, like why we are different. First of all, we have to ask why Ukrainian people think differently than the people of Bangladesh. Why Ukrainian people are differently thinking than the Russian people? You know, what, what, is the, what are the differences and why it happened among themselves? So then we can, if we see, look back and see why, uh, you know, different communities has built up and how their history, their stories has made them together. Like, say, for example, you are saying that you are Ukrainian, though maybe you are from, you know, Russian origin, someone is from Greek origin, someone is from different. So, but you are now believing in something you know, which doesn't have any existence. You know, in reality, Ukraine is not something. It is just in your belief. We believe you people believing in something which is called Ukraine. That's why you are Ukrainian. It can be named differently and you can believe in it different. Like you can change your citizenship, you can change your places, like that kind of thing. So it's about what stories we believe as a nation, as a person, and that binds us together. So our dreams and stories are something which makes and connects us. Like you said, as an example, that when we started a startup together, we are dreaming for something. And we had a story about exchange program, which connected us. So through stories, we have to connect people and we have to give them a dream for which they can strive together. Absolutely agree with everything that you have said regarding the positive stories. And from my personal point of view, my perspective, uh, I should say that um, we are not so deeply aware of the history of each country, uh, of the idea of the, of the country, narrative of the country. And I guess that the most important for us right now, uh, not only to explain what, what's going on 
I mean, in the context between Russia and Ukraine, but also to uh, let the world know the idea of each state to promote um, to, to promote the understanding between each other. Yeah, we need to understand the uh, way of thinking, to understand the way of perception of everything is going on. Because for me, uh, if to um, try to explain uh, what I have heard about the other states, for example, um, in Asia, it's difficult even for me, like an expert in international relations, to catch the idea of each state. That's why I guess we should start from the storytelling, yes, about each nation, about the story of each nation, because uh, definitely uh, each nation has um, strategy uh, pages pages in its history with strategies, with misunderstandings, with um, failed elections, etc., etc. But uh, we uh, we have gone through this, and we uh, understand that something was good, something was bad. But it's our history; it's a part of us. That's why I guess it's it would be very cool uh, to promote uh, the idea. Uh, their understanding of the world of each nation and to focus on the positive, positive thinking, positive aspects. I'm looking forward to exploring more. Uh, our podcast is only a platform uh, that ignites conversation, uh, gathers different opinions and builds the network of people who indeed want peace, collaboration and practice that. All right, that was the end of the first and pilot episode of the Global Response series. You can find more information at exchangemepodcast.com and see you soon in a new episode. Let's respond together.